Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So, over the last few months, we've been making our way through the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. And today we've reached the last week. In fact, we're down to the last few sentences of this New Testament book. But they're a good last few sentences. They're really good. They're going to inspire us and challenge us and encourage us today. But before we get there, I want to call a quick time out. Because I want to look ahead for a moment. So next week, as Dave already said, we're going to do a baptism. It's going to be incredible. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But starting in the month of June, I'm launching a 12-week sermon series. And I just want to lay my cards on the table, whether you're here online today or in person, my goal is that you would attend all 12 weeks, live or online, preferably right with us, but if you miss a week because you're on, I don't know, summer vacation or something like that, that you would catch up. Let me tell you a story. When I was a kid, like 15, 16 years old, it blew out my knee. Tore my ACL. Back in those days, they didn't do the little surgery where they poke a couple holes in your knee and they put the scopes in there. They peeled my whole knee back. They reattached the ACL, put some sutures in there, and about uh, three days later, they took the sutures out, put a cast on my leg from the top of my leg down to my ankle. They said, be very careful for eight weeks. Now we'll take the cast off and everything will be okay. So I was, I was very careful for about a week, but then I got really, really bored, okay? So what I would do is I would bring my crutches with me to school and then I would put my crutches in my locker and walk around all day, limp around all day on my cast. And it was really fine. The only thing I noticed was the cast began to get a little bit looser. So about 17 days after my surgery, a bunch of my buddies were playing touch football at the park and I went with them. I was on my crutches and they're standing there and they're making teams. And when they get to the end, they found out there was an odd number of people. So I said, I'll play. And they said, hey, hop along. You can't play. You got one leg. I said, I'm better on one leg than you are on two. Let me play. And so they did. Now, before I tell you the rest of this story, I want to tell you something. I kind of had this idea when I blew my knee out and I got the surgery and they put the cast on. I kind of thought this. I kind of thought that time heals all wounds. Like just kind of automatically. Right, so when I was a kid, I had pneumonia, and they put me in this tent in the hospital, and I pumped this oxygen, they gave me some pills, and a few days later, boom, I was fine. Good as new. And that's what I thought was going to happen with my knee. So anyways, I'm playing football with my buddies, and we get near the end of the game, and it's pretty close, and the quarterback throws me a ball, and it's up over my head, so I jumped as high as I could, and I made the catch, you know, I should mention that. And while I was coming down, the guy that was covering me knocked my right leg kind of off balance, so I came down. Did I mention my cast was getting looser and looser that day as I ran around the field? Because I came down with all my weight on my surgically repaired left leg. It hurt. Like, it hurt, like, I don't know. 20 times more than when I originally blew it out. So I went home, I was scared to tell my mom. But she responded really well. Kind of shocked disbelief. She didn't even yell at me. She was just amazed at my ineptitude. She was like, wow, I can't believe I have a kid that stupid. I was kind of pleased, actually. She didn't yell at all. And uh, I was hoping for the same kind of shocked disbelief with the orthopedic surgeon when I went in the next day. But he did not respond that way. I had never seen anybody get purple with rage before, but I did that day. He actually got purple. It was interesting. I had never heard a doctor swear before. But he swore, my friends. 
He swore. For about 15 minutes, he swore at me. I looked over at my mom, who was in the appointment with me, thinking that she might say, hey, wait a minute, don't swear at my kid that way, but she was nodding in agreement, okay? So, <laughs> now, so he said, look, we're going to peel this cast off. We're going to put a new one on. It's going to be tighter. Don't even think about complaining about how tight it is. And be careful. In six weeks, we're going to take it off. So six weeks later, they took the cast off. This is what I thought. I thought the cast was going to come off, and they were going to say, ta-da, new knee. New knee, but it wasn't. It didn't feel good. It was stiff and sore and weak. And so they said, you got to go to physiotherapy for a number of months. I'm like, a number of what? Months. You go really hard, and I did. I worked really hard for two weeks, okay? So at the end of the two weeks, I said to the lady that was doing my physiotherapy, I'm like, this is so boring. What do I have to do to get out of physio? And she said, I'll tell you what, if you can do a leg extension with your, le- with your left leg, at the- I don't remember what the weight was, this and this weight, you can leave. So I'm like, great. Come in the next time, I'm like, give me the weight, I'll do it. And so I completely cheated the way that I did it, it hurt, it wasn't proper at all, but I did a leg extension with that much weight, and I said to her, so I can leave. And she's like, okay, you can leave. And I thought I was great. What a great idea. Because this is what I thought. I thought time heals all wounds. But it turns out with my little left knee, it didn't work that way. Like since that time, I've blown up that stupid knee over and over and over again. I've had two more surgeries. Would have had a lot more, but after the third surgery, the doctor looked at me and said, we're done, there's nothing else that we can do. You know what else has happened over the years? I keep blowing up my right ankle. And here's why. Because whenever I play sports now, if I jump up in the air, I have about a three centimeter vertical at this point in my life, so let's, we don't need to, okay. But when I come down, I always automatically come down with all my weight on my right leg. It's like I have a memory of that stupid touch football game, and I'm going, I'm not going there again. So when you're playing basketball and you jump and you keep landing with all your weight on your right leg, sometimes you land on somebody's foot. It's like you're blowing out the right ankle. A couple years ago, I went back to physio, said to the doctor, I'm going to make up for all the lost years, you know, I'm going to fix this thing up good as new. He's like, we can't fix that thing up as good as new. You need a new knee. I'm like, cool, a new knee? Can I have it like today? He's like, well, here's the problem. You got a lot of biomechanical baggage. I'm like, what? He's like, biomechanical baggage. He said, you've learned to move in a way that compensates for your blown out left knee. And we just give you a new knee right now. It won't help at all because you need to learn to move better. I mention all of that to say this. I think that your heart is a little bit like my knee. I think that what's true of us physically is also true of us emotionally, that time does not heal all wounds. See, when I think about the trauma that you've had to face in your life, whether you're young or whether you're old, when I think about the guilt that you deal with in your life, I wonder, have you ever thought to yourself that you need to be healed? See, because I think if you really looked at your life, what you'd realize is that throughout your life, much like my little left knee, you've blown things out over and over and over again in the same way. Why? Because you've never been healed. Or if you really looked at your life, you would notice that much like my right ankle, that you've learned to compensate in your life, and you've settled for less in your life, and you've hurt yourself and you've hurt other people. Why? Because you've compensated for some of the pain that you've never healed from. 
Or how about this? We talk about the fact that Romans 10 says this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great news. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when God saves you, he puts a new spirit in you. But have you ever wondered, or maybe it's just me, have you ever wondered why you go through life and you know that God's put a new spirit in you, but yet so much of that new life has not become evident in the way that you actually live? It's like putting in a new knee with all the biomechanical baggage. The same thing, God puts a new spirit in you, but you have so much baggage in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, that you need to be healed so that God's work in you can manifest itself on the outside. Does that make sense? So here's what we're doing. In June, we're gonna start a 12-week series based on the 12 steps of recovery. First published, by the way, in 1939 in the Alcoholics Anonymous, big book. It's really interesting, too, because the 12 steps of recovery are based on, borrowed from the church. Heavily borrowed from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the New Testament book of James. And I would submit to you that back in 2019, in 2019, remember 2019? Back in 2019, I used to say this, man, we all need recovery. Well, if that was true in 2019, can I submit that it is equally, if not exponentially more true in June of 2022? We need recovery. We need healing. Because here's what I know about life. I know that hurting people hurt people. And I know that broken people break people. And I know that there's trauma in your life that is still hurting you today because you've never healed. And there's guilt in your life that's still breaking you today because you've never healed. But equally as true, if I tell you that hurting people hurt people and broken people break people, you know what else is true? That healed people, healed people, healed people bring healing to others. That's the goal starting in June of 2022. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna ask you to make it a priority. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who you think in June of 2022 needs to step up into something better. Tell them to make it a priority. Let's be there. If we can be there live, online, or in person, that's best, but if we have to catch up later, that's great too. Make sense? Make sense. So 2 Timothy, the last few sentences. Of course, what we call the book of 2 Timothy is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul in 67 AD to his best buddy, Timothy. Now, Paul writes the letter from prison, specifically Mamertine prison in Rome. You can still actually go to Rome and see the prison where Paul was kept. That's Mamertine prison there. They placed him in an underground cell. You can see a replica of the cell that Paul uh, was in still today in Rome. But I want you to think about that. It's 67 AD. Paul's writing a letter to his best friend, Timothy. And he's in Rome, and Nero is still the emperor. Rotten timing for Timothy, by the way. Nero is declared an enemy of the state the next year in 68 AD. The Senate declared Nero an enemy of the state, and Nero committed suicide. But that was one year too late for Paul. Paul's in prison in 67 AD. He knows that he's gonna die. And these are the last words, the last sentences that he will ever write. And for me, that makes me lean in and really take notice. Verse 19 of 2 Timothy 4. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, Paul says. 
Priscilla and Aquila, well, we can read about them uh, throughout the whole New Testament. They come up in different places. They're a dynamic duo. They're a husband and wife team. They are really, really, really good friends with Paul. Now, we don't know everything about Priscilla and Aquila, but what we do know is pretty inspiring. We know that they were generous, generous people, that they opened up their lives, they opened up their time, they opened up their home, they opened up their wallet for the message of Jesus, the gospel, and for the church that Jesus established to spread the gospel. In Romans chapter 16, we don't know the whole story, but Paul mentions that uh, Priscilla and Aquila risked their life for Paul, and that he also mentions that the gospel wouldn't have spread if it wasn't for Priscilla and Aquila. And when I read this greeting, one of the last sentences that Paul will ever write, I think of that old saying, you gotta stand for something or you're gonna fall for anything. You gotta stand for something, or you're gonna fall for anything. You gotta stand for something. What did Priscilla and Aquila stand for? They stood for the gospel. They stood for Jesus. They stood for the church that Jesus established to spread the gospel. That's what they stood for, it was very clear. The the, the problem is, If you don't stand for something, you're gonna fall for anything. In other words, you're gonna get to the end of your life and look, what did my life mean? What did my life stand for? And you're gonna go, oh, really? That was it? Yeah, because you never really chose. So you wanna figure out what you stand for. There's probably four questions you can ask. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? Who do I hang out with? And maybe the most importantly, listen to this one, question number four. How do I react? How do I react in crisis? How do I react in crisis? You know why? Because anyone can put on a good act. I don't really know anyone that can put on a good react. So you ask yourself those four questions. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? Who do I hang out with? And how do I react in crisis? And I wonder how many people in our culture today would get to the end of that exercise and say, well, as it turns out, what I stand for is my own comfort. Huh. Just over a week ago, I was in the airport in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We flew in at about uh, 4.30 in the afternoon. Our flight was scheduled to leave again at eight o'clock that night. I was happy for the delay. Just according to schedules and stuff, I hadn't eaten yet and I found out that there was a Buffalo Wild Wings in the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport. So if you're ever there, take a note, you should go. It was amazing. So we ate a bunch of unhealthy food, to be truthful, but it was great. And so we're sitting there eating dinner in the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport, and I get a little notice on my phone. It says, your flight has been delayed from uh, 8 o'clock to 10.30. So you got some extra time. No big deal, I walked around the airport, found out, by the way, some signs say that the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport was named the number one airport in North America, 2017, 2018, 2019, so now you know that also, okay? So eventually our flight leaves at 10.30, get on the plane, we taxi out to the tarmac, and we sat there for just over an hour. And then the captain comes across the speakers and he says, hey, I'm paraphrasing, hey, here's the thing, we've been trying to fix the flaps all day, still can't get them. So we're gonna head back to the gate and you can get off if you want, stretch your legs and we'll see what we can do. So we get off and it's about one o'clock in the morning by this point, by the time we kind of get off the plane and eventually at the gate, the person comes across the speaker again and says, 
flight's canceled. We're going to leave tomorrow instead. Now, my number one emotion at that time was actually gratitude. Because I'm thinking to myself, hey, pilot, thank you. This is what I don't want you to do. Hey, the flaps aren't working. Let's give it a shot anyways. Do you know what I mean? Like your surgeon and your pilot. Those are the two people you don't want to be like, let's see how this goes, right? So I'm like, good, you know, good. We can leave tomorrow. And so they say, hey, we're going to give you free hotels and free food and free Uber. So just line up. And so we get in the lineup. And I'm pretty happy. Most people are pretty happy. But a couple of people lost their minds. They lost their minds. They lost their minds. And I'm thinking to myself, no one gets up in the morning and says, you know what I want my life to stand for? I want to be the kind of person that screams at 1 o'clock in the morning at a 22-year-old Delta employee who doesn't want to be there any more than I want to be there. You know, I, I just want to be there and scream at a 22-year-old Delta employee, all the while knowing that my flight is canceled from one day to the next, and there's people dying of starvation in the world right now. And there's wars, and there's terminal illness. But I'm losing my mind. All the while realizing one more thing that's kind of interesting. The fact that I can get on an airplane and fly from one city to another means that I'm wealthier than 99% of the world. I want to be that kind of guy. No one does. But if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. You're going to get to the end of your life and realize my whole life was about my comfort and my convenience. What does your life stand for? It can stand for family, can stand for your marriage, can stand for your friends, can stand for your job, whatever. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, your life can only stand really for one thing. He said, seek first. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will look after itself. There's this old hymn that says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Even good ground. Well, I'm gonna stand for my marriage. The hymn says, no, that's not even a good idea. It's interesting, don't you think? So I said earlier that Romans 10 talks about the fact that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? And when we're saved, God puts a new spirit in us. And I believe in that moment, with our own limited capacity as human beings, we come to this crazy understanding. We come to the understanding that the God of the universe actually loves me. A wingnut like me, it's amazing. God loves me. And he unlocks a capacity inside of me and inside of you that we can love him back. And when we love him, we trust him. And when we trust him, we follow him. And when we follow him, we become more like him. And that's really, really interesting. Because I would submit to you that if you really think about it, when you become more like Jesus, you become the me that you were born to be. <laughs> Because you were created in the image of, yeah, you were created in the image of God. So you call in the name of the Lord, you're saved, puts a new spirit in you, you come in, with, with your own human ability, you actually come to this incredible understanding that God actually loves you. He unlocks your capacity to love him back, and when you love him, you trust him, when you trust him, you follow him, and you begin to become the person that you were created to be in the first place.
it's a pretty big deal because if you stand on your marriage, that's not enough. If you stand on your friendships, it's not enough. See, if you stand on the solid rock that is Jesus, like Priscilla and Aquila did, what happens is you become the spouse that you were created to be. You become the friend that you were created to be. So by standing on the righteousness of God, by standing on Jesus, you get all the rest. And I mention that because there's a baptism coming up next week too. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? When you're saved, God puts a new spirit in you. And with your own human abilities, you become somewhat aware that the God of the universe loves you. And he unlocks your capacity to love him back. As you love him back, you come to a place where you trust him enough to follow him. Then you become the you that you were created to be. There's a lot of times that following Jesus can be complicated. Should I take that job or this job? Should I move to that city or this city? Someone said to me the other day, I could sell my house in Chilliwack and move to Saskatchewan. I could buy a mansion. I said, that's great. But then you gotta live in Saskatchewan, you know? It's, it's good news, bad news. But sometimes it's complicated. You know, what's, you know what's not complicated? Jesus said, believe and be baptized. It's real simple. So can we do away with the whole I gotta be perfect to get baptized thing? Let's stop that. Like this whole place is full of wingnuts and most of them have been baptized. No, I'm serious. Like that's not the point. The point is at some capacity, wingnut that you are, you've come to the place where you realize that the God of the universe loves you. And then you love him enough to trust him. And then you start to follow. Baptism is a great next step. If you have not signed up yet and you believe in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, we've got a lot of people signed up already, which is awesome. It's gonna be a party. Don't know what kind of life you've lived. If you lived a life a little bit like mine, we'll hold you under the water for a couple minutes, okay, just to make sure we get it right. <laughs> you gotta stand for something. You gotta stand for something. He goes on, he says, Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter, Timothy. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. And I have, to, I have to admit that when I got to that section, I'm like, Paul, could you have any more complicated names in your letters that I have to stand up here and read in front of the entire church? I don't know how to pronounce any of that. I just read it loud and confident, hoping that nobody notices that I got it wrong, okay? But it hit me. All those names are people. Huh. People really matter to Paul. Paul spent his life investing in people. And I want you to imagine again, he's there in that underground cell, all by himself, writing the last words that he will ever write. And what comes to his mind? Who comes to his mind? People. The same thing should be true of you and me, that we spend our life investing in people. See, when you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. God puts a new spirit in you, and he gives you the ability, even as a human being, to 
realize this notion that the God of the universe loves me. And he unlocks my capacity to love him back. And when I love him back, I trust him. And when I trust him, I follow him. And when I follow him, I become more like him. Time out. When I follow him, I become more like him. Time out, time out, time out, time out. When I become more like Jesus, I become more about people. When I become more like the me that I was created to be, I become more about people. I invest in people. When I become more like Jesus, I realize that Jesus stepped into human history for people. Jesus died on the cross for people. Jesus rose again for people. Jesus is coming again one day to set all things right. Why? For people. And my life will more and more resemble his. I will more and more become the me that I was created to be. And the way that people will tell is they'll tell because I invest in people. Someone asked Jesus once, what's the most important commandment? He said, I can't give you one. I got to give you two. Love God, love people. Ever thought about that? Have you ever really thought about that? So you can tell the world all you want, I really love God. What does that mean to them? How can they tell? There's only one way. Jesus said there will be one defining characteristic for people who follow Jesus, who love God. What will that be? They will love people. That's how they will tell. So, well, it's pretty intimidating, Mike. Love people. Where do I start with that? I don't know. Start with your wife. Start with your husband. Start with the people closest to you. Start with your kids if you have kids. You say, well, I'm not the father that my kids deserve. I'm not the mom that my kids deserve. With all due respect, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. You're the parent that God entrusted those kids to. So invest in them to the best of your ability. Ask God to help you to love them well. Start with the people close to you. Start with the stuff that just comes across your face. God will always put people in your life. God will always give you opportunities. God will always tap you on the shoulder. A few weeks ago, we got some people, some Southsiders that are directly involved in Ukraine. They said, hey, we need to step up and we need to help. And so we did as a church. As a church, you responded to that. We will continue to respond. It's really interesting how the world works because when, when, when the war in Ukraine first broke out, the world's attention was really on it, right? But then as the days went by, as the weeks went by, Will Smith punches somebody in the head and all sorts of stuff happened, right? And we kind of, it's not the thing anymore. There's other things to think about. And all of a sudden, more people are suffering in, in Ukraine than they ever have before, but the world's attention is elsewhere. Our attention is still there because God tapped us on the shoulder and said, love people. See, how in the world... Do people outside the church, how would they ever know that you love God? What does that mean? They'll be able to tell when they watch the way that you love people. There's something unique about you when you really love people. To such a degree, I would suggest that, that you'll have people in your life, listen to this, this is crazy, you'll have people in your life that will look at you and say, I don't believe what you believe. I don't believe in the Bible like you believe in the Bible. I don't believe in Jesus the way that you believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the cross the way that you believe in the cross. I don't believe in the resurrection like you believe in the resurrection, but there's something about you. 
I don't believe the way that you believe, but I'll tell you what, I want my kids to marry someone like you. I wanna work for someone like you. I wanna hire someone like you. I wanna hang out with someone like you. I wanna go into business with someone like you. You get it? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You will realize to some degree that God loves you and you love him back. You trust him, you follow him, and then you become more like him and all of a sudden your life is defined. Even someone that doesn't believe the way that you believe looks at you and says, there's something there. Because you love people. The Lord be with your spirit. I gotta admit, I got pretty attached to the Apostle Paul over these three months. And we're down to these last two sentences of the letter that he wrote to Timothy. And I just think of him. He's in that little underground cell, you know? And he says, hey, hey Timothy, could you come before winter because it's really cold in here? And it'd be great if you could bring me my cloak and I miss you and I'd like to see you before I die. I don't think Timothy made it in time, by the way, but I bet he did his best. The Lord be with your spirit. You're a spiritual creation. You're a spiritual creation. Maybe you've heard it explained this way before that you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You have a body and you have a mind. Your body and mind will wear out one day, you will never wear out. You will live forever. And God's plan is that you would live forever with him. We call that eternal life. Can you imagine Paul sitting all by himself in that little underground cell, saying, hey, hey, Timothy, could you, could you bring me my jacket? And could you hurry? Because I don't think I'm gonna get another chance to see you. Can you imagine how real eternal life felt to Paul? So, so real, and that's so important to me. Some about our culture, we've made eternity kind of feel ethereal at times, like clouds and harps and angels with little wings and Philadelphia cream cheese and stuff like that, you know? It's so weird. But imagine Paul in that cell. I bet you it didn't feel very ethereal. I bet you it felt really real. And here's what I want to suggest to you, that on the other side of eternity, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And you're going to look back at your experience here and go, oh, that was ethereal. This is real. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the most magnificent thing that you've ever seen on this side of eternity. You climb up to the Rogers Pass and the clear night and you look up and you see these thousands and thousands and thousands of stars and you go, this is magnificent. On the other side of eternity, you're gonna look up at the stars in the sky and go, oh, 
Oh, it turns out that that was just a copy of a copy of a copy, but this is real. The greatest pleasure, the greatest love, the greatest joy, the greatest hope that you've experienced on this side of eternity, when you get there, you're gonna go, oh, that was great, but that was just like a copy of a copy of a copy of what is to come. I was hanging around with a friend of mine the other day. He's an innovator and an entrepreneur, and he says to me, a really successful guy, he says, man, I wish I was younger. I said, don't we all? I mean, 35 has been tough for me, and he said, um, he said, I wish I was younger. I said, why? He says, uh, I want to take one of my factories and I want to build flying cars. I'm like, there's no such thing as flying cars. And then I Google it. There's flying cars. There's flying cars, you guys. I said, you got to do it. You got you to build flying cars in one of your factories. And I would be happy to take one of the first ones off the line for you just to advertise a little bit. And then it hit me as I was walking away. I thought, I don't know whether he really will ever produce flying cars on this side of eternity, but he'll make flying cars. You understand what I'm saying? Like, innovators will innovate in eternity. Creators will create in eternity. Writers will write. Artists will draw and paint. Actors will act. Chefs will chef. <laughs> Singers will sing. Maybe even those of us that Aren't the greatest of singers will be able to sing a little bit better? Teachers will teach, preachers will preach. Can you imagine the sermons? You're like, wow, not really. I was thinking heaven was going to be fun, Mike. No, I mean, they'll be fun. Like, imagine Billy Graham preaching on the other side of eternity. Imagine Paul. Imagine Paul preaching. Like, on, on this side of eternity, we see Jesus by faith. On that side, we'll see him face to face, can you imagine? It's not gonna be ethereal, it's gonna be so real, as Paul knew, maybe better than anyone ever could've. And the last sentence he ever wrote, sitting in a cell, all by himself, saying, hey Timothy, if you can, if you can get here by winter, that'd be great. The last sentence ever written by the Apostle Paul. Grace be with you all. Grace. I think if you asked Paul to summarize his whole life in one word, he'd probably pick the word grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a God who takes ugly things and makes them beautiful things. Grace. You know, like when Paul was a young man, he persecuted Christians. He, he beat them up, he arrested them, he executed Christians. And then about 30 years before he wrote this letter, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus turned Paul's life upside down, and he went from persecuting to preaching. What a life he lived. What a life. And if you asked him to describe the whole thing in one word, he'd probably say grace. Grace, how God can take ugly things and make them make into beautiful things. Paul described his own life earlier in this same letter by saying this, you know what, I fought the good fight. 
I finished the race. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. That's grace, you know? Grace is God taking ugly things and making them into beautiful things. You know, earlier I showed you the outside of Mamertine Prison. You can still go see it today. And I showed you an underground cell that you can still go see today. I thought you might want to see what the above-ground Mamertine Prison looks like today. Grace. Ugly things become beautiful things in the hands of God. See, and one day on the other side of eternity, maybe you'll see Paul. Well, I'm sure you will. And you'll say, hey, Paul, thanks for everything. Thanks for planting those churches and preaching those sermons. And thanks for writing those letters. And he'll go, it was grace. It was grace. And he'll probably tell you something like this. And I'll bet, Paul will say to you, I'll bet that if you really looked at your own life and you had to summarize your life in one word, you'd probably use that word, grace, too. Paul once described following Jesus this way. He said this, people are watching us as we stay at our post, alertly and swervingly. In hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed, and mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, with pure heart, clear head, steady hand. In gentleness, holiness, and honest love, when we're telling the truth and when God's showing his power, when we're doing our best, setting things right, when we're praised and when we're blamed, slandered and honored, true to our word though distrusted, ignored by the world but recognized by God. Terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead. Beaten within an inch of our lives but refusing to die, immersed in tears yet always filled with deep joy. Living on handouts yet enriching many. Having, having nothing, having it all, that's grace, that's grace. It's true in the highest highs and the lowest lows. It's true on the mountaintop, it's true in the valley. It's true in a five-star resort, it's true in an underground cell in Rome in 67 AD. And I keep thinking as I just think about Paul in that cell. Having nothing, yet having it all. Having nothing, yet having it all. I just wonder if we get a chance to ask Paul this one day. Hey, Paul, what was it like to sit in that cell and write that letter? I wonder if he'll say something like this. You know what? My whole life I stood for Jesus, but in that cell, I realized more than I had ever realized before that he had been standing with me the whole time. Having nothing, yet having it all. That's grace, let's pray. So I said a few times today, Romans 10 talks about the fact that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know who you are or where you've been or what you've done, I don't. 
But I know grace is for all of us. Grace is for all of us. Grace is for everyone. That Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again for you. And today I want to just give you the opportunity with all heads bowed and all eyes closed just to accept his grace, accept his gift, accept his forgiveness, accept his salvation. The next step is yours. Accept what his grace has already given you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if today is the day you want to accept that, can you just raise your hand right now because I want to pray for you. Nice and high if you don't mind. Awesome. Awesome. Whether you're online or in person right now, if you just raise your hand, you can put it down. and I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for grace. Imperfect though I am, thank you that the same God of the Apostle Paul is my God. The same Jesus that died for the Apostle Paul died for me too. And so Jesus, I ask that you would be my Savior, that you would forgive my sin that your victory over death would be my victory, that you would give me the strength to follow you one next step at a time, today, tomorrow, and forever. And for all of us, God, I pray, I pray that as we trust you, that we would follow you. And as we follow you, we would become more like you. Not perfect, but more and more like you. Live the life that we were created to live. So that even those in the world right now that would look at us and say, and I don't believe a word that you say would see something in us that would lead them to you. Thank you, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We can celebrate that. Hey, if you just raised your hand, whether you're online or in person right now and prayed that prayer, just do me a favor and text the keyword LIFE to 604 Six seven zero thirty forty. Baptism Sunday next week. I mentioned that. Hey, if you haven't been baptized, text dunk to that same number. I love you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.